NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Malik. You're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former MLB closer Billy Wagner and whether or not he belongs in Cooperstown. And joining us in just a moment to discuss Billy Wagner's career in Hall of Fame candidacy is former producer for ESPN's Baseball Tonight and the creator of Cooperstown Cred, the number one website about Baseball Hall of Fame candidates, Chris Bodig. But before we bring Chris on, let's talk a little more about Billy Wagner. Wagner played from 1995 to 2010 and was one of the best closers of his time. He was a seven-time All-Star and finished his career with 422 career saves, which is good for sixth on the all-time saves list. He also finished his career with a 2.31 ERA, and a strikeout rate, which is pretty incredible, of 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings, which is actually the best in MLB history, and a career 0.998 whip, which is the second best in MLB history. Also, batters facing him had a career batting average of .187, which, again, is the best in MLB history. Now, a lot of best in MLB history there, um, but one of the things against Bet Wagner, and, and Chris and I will go into this quite a bit, is he only pitched 903 career innings. But in just those 903 career innings, he did have 1,196 career strikeouts, a career record of 47 and 40, and a career war of 27.7. So this is going to be his seventh year on the ballot coming up in 2022. Um, he's been on the ballot six years prior, and in a six-year on the ballot, he got 46.4% of the vote, which is quite a long ways from where he started, which was just 10.5% of the vote in 2016. So he's definitely trending up, but he's going to be a close call, and it'll be interesting to see if he's the next closer in line to get into Cooperstown and Chris and I will discuss, you know, again, his case, but also other closes that have come in the, in the past and how he kind of stacks up to them. So with all those quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Chris. All right. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast today, former producer for ESPN's Baseball Night and the creator of the number one website about Baseball Hall of Fame candidates, Cooperstown's Cred, Chris Bode. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you? I am doing well. So Chris is joining us today to talk about the Hall of Fame candidacy of a former MLB closer, Billy Wagner. And as many of you listeners probably know, Wagner has been on the ballot for a number of years now. Um, on the 2021 ballot, this was his sixth year. He got 46.4% of the vote and is currently trending up because if you can remember back in 2016 when he first appeared on the ballot, he only got 10.5% of the vote, but with, you know, the last several years, Chris, of, you know, Trevor Hoffman getting in, Lee Smith getting in, Mariano Rivera getting in, uh, a lot of closers have been about the last several years. He is now by far the best closer uh, on the ballot and will probably be for the next couple of years. So if he's going to make a run these next four years, uh, you know, there is a decent chance, but there's a reason why he, you know, wasn't getting in the first couple of years and, we're going to talk about that candidacy today. So, Chris, the first thing I ask any guest coming on the show is about the candidate we're talking about. When you think of Billy Wagner, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? 
Okay, so um, I'm a New York Mets fan. So unfortunately for Billy, the first thing that comes to my mind is game two of the uh, uh, NLCS in 2006 when he gave up three runs in a tie game in the ninth inning and the Mets lost that game. And this is a problem for relief pitchers in general that we tend to remember the bad moments because they're bad. Like as great as he was, the most famous play Dennis Eckersley was involved in was the Kirk Gibson home run. Uh, but uh, I, I actually, rather than think of a moment with Wagner, the guy was just so solid. What I think about in his career was how incredibly great he was in his last season in baseball, which was uh, his age 38 season, which was uh, 2010. And uh, he, he actually turned 39 that year. Uh, but he was with the Braves, which was as much of a hometown team as he could have. And he had a 1.43 ERA, uh, 37 saves his, his last year. And he decided to retire to be closer to his kids. And, and the fact of the matter is, if he kept pitching for another couple of years, we probably wouldn't be talking about whether he should be in the Hall of Fame or not, because he might have gone past 500 saves and he would have been right behind Trevor Hoffman in the same category. So uh, I, I think about how incredible it was that he was that dominant at the end of his career. Yeah, again, that final season with the Braves made his last all-star team, so he made seven in his career. And it's pretty remarkable. 1.43 ERA, as you said, um, you know, his, his strikeouts per nine innings was still extremely high, 13.5 as a 30, you know, nine-year-old at the end there. He definitely had a few more seasons left. Um, you know, his save total, and we'll probably get this, 422, super high. I mean, it's six all time. But, yeah, he puts in – he obviously had more left in the tank. He puts in three, two or three more seasons, probably gets the saves hovering near 500 or above. He gets over that 1,000-inning plateau, which we'll probably get to in the case against, really, I think, hurts his case. And, and again, maybe makes an all-star team more, too, and, and maybe he's not sitting on the ballot. He only played 16 years um, compared to a lot of relievers in the Hall of Fame. That's, that's pretty low. You know, he didn't get into the league until 23, and he retired at a time where, you know, Hoffman pitched, obviously, several more years, as did Revere, and a lot of the other guys already in the Hall. So we'll leave that off for a little bit later, but uh, you know, that last Atlanta season is pretty remarkable. That's quite the send off. And again, we, I think we think of most players the last several years of their career, they seem to be, you know, fading away quite, quite well, especially if you look at a lot of batters who somehow fall off after, you know, the age of 31, 32, he was putting up one of his best seasons, I would say yep. in 2010. And who would have known, you know, how much longer he could have done it, but I do want to shift to our, 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 our kind of next segment here, Chris, we call this that memorable moment. And I know you said, you know, the, that Mets play, uh, a play probably people want to forget about sticks in your head as, as something that comes to mind. But what we do in that memorable moment is try to push away the, the bad moments and actually think of, you know, what would his Hall of, De Hall of Fame defining moment be? And is it you know, a single playoff performance, playoff series, or I don't think we're going to be talking about any of that for Billy Wagner, maybe a season itself. What was Billy Wagner's maybe best season of his career? Was it his 2010 or is there another season that maybe sticks out more to you? Well, um, I would say 
and, and Billy did, does not have the postseason moments. And, and, and honestly, I, I think that's holding him back in terms of the support that he's getting, uh, because I'm sure we'll get into this, but his peripheral stats are phenomenal. Um, but he really doesn't have the October moment that we think about with Hall of Fame closers. He doesn't, he doesn't have that moment that we remember visually of jumping into the arms of his catcher after winning the World Series, or even after winning a pennant. He doesn't have that. Uh, but he, you know, really, the, the year that he kind of got on the radar for me, uh, and I was at ESPN at the time uh, when, this, when he did this, was in 19, uh, 1999. It was his first All-Star year. Uh, and it's, I mean, he, as a relief pitcher, he was fourth in the Cy Young voting because he had a 39 saves and a 1.57 ERA. And it, what was really incredible about that season is that he had a strikeout to walk ratio of 124 to 23. That, I mean, that's, that's Eckersley-esque to do that. Uh, that's when Eckersley was in his prime, he was putting up those kind of ridiculous strikes. And when Wagner came up, walks were a problem with him. I mean, he was, he was kind of wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was really, it was, it was the age 27 season and he turned 28 that year, 1999, uh, had that incredible year. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he's, he helped the team make the playoffs, but they lost to the, uh, to the Braves in the NLDS as the Astros were, uh, often doing <laughs> during then, uh, losing to the Braves in the NLDS. They did that a lot, uh, back in the late nineties and early aughts. Uh, but I, I think of that season, um, that, that's not. And the next season, he it was a lost season for him. He was a six point one eight the next year. But uh, and uh, you know, and he was great with the Phillies. His his second year with Philadelphia, he parlayed that into a nice contract with the Mets the next year. Um, so you know, Billy, what what makes him so compelling is that ex except with one bad year, he was just always just always on top. And with with relief pitchers, it's so often up and down. And even the Hall of Famers had up and down years. Billy Wagner only had one down year as, as a relief pitcher, but he really emerged in 1999. Yeah. I, I looked at that 99 season two. Of course, that was the only year he got top five in the Cy Young voting as he should. His, his whip was ridiculously low, 0.777. And then strikeouts per nine innings was his peak there, 149 which is absurd. I think when I look at it, Chris, the thing that stands out the most to me, and I hope people don't forget about it when you're thinking about this. I mean, 99 is the height of the steroid air. And, you know, he's in the national, the Astros are in the national league at that point. They're, they're in the, um, the central division with my cubbies and you got, you know, Sammy Sosa in that league. You got McGuire and Edmonds on the Cardinals. I think Griffey gets to Cincinnati a year after 99, but when, when he's pitching for Houston, his ERA is super low. And again, that year, 1.57 is extremely low. He's playing in the height where everyone's hitting home runs, runs are up at an all time high. And his ERA is that low. I, I think it's pretty remarkable. I think it's honestly more remarkable even than the 2010 1.43. Um, and again, it's the only year he gets in the top five. Second. And I want to ask you a question um, about this. So top five Cy Young for a reliever. Anytime you do that, that's great. But if you look at some of the relievers in the Hall of Fame today, um, the Trevor Hoffmans, of course, Marin Rivera was almost in the Cy Young voting every single year. 
Um, even guys who had, you know, peak seasons around this time, Smoltz when he was a closer, Gagne is a closer. They're, they're getting multiple top five Cy Young awards, and, and some are winning Cy Young awards. Billy only got in the top five once, but he was super consistent and had seasons almost as good, if not as good as this season throughout his career. Why, why do you think only one top five Cy Young? Because I think that hurts him a bit too when you look at people you compare him to. Why was he only in that top? Was he just a consistent guy that only had this one maybe out of this world season? Or was it something else? I couldn't put my finger on it. Well, you know, it, that it's well, first of all, the uh, we're never going to see a relief pitcher win the Cy Young Award again. That, that's 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 over um, because uh, there is more of awareness of wins above replacement and just the volume of innings. Not that starting pitchers are throwing up major innings anymore either, but it's just the, the I mean, today relief pitchers are throwing 55 or 60 innings. And, and Wagner never had like, you know, a big innings total. I mean, I'm looking at his page, the highest is 86. And, and early in there, early in his career, Rivera did much more than that. Um, and, and Rivera and Hoffman are really the contemporaries, as, as you mentioned before. So I, I, I think, you know, he had a year, um, his last year, as I mentioned in Philly, he had a 1.51 ERA with 38 saves. A whip of 0.837. I mean, he certainly could have gotten some consideration for Cy Young for that for that kind of num- number, but uh, but he didn't. He didn't get any down ballot, and I I, I can't remember off the top of my head who won it that year. Uh, might have been still Clemens. You know, could have been <laughs> still with the <laughs> It might have been Clemens that year, but I, I might be mis- misremembering something. But uh, I I think that that for you know, Wagner is a basically a 21st century relief pitcher. And I don't think we can judge pitchers of that era by Cy Young votes because the, the, the writers are just not, you know, they're just not going there uh, in, in a way that they used to. I mean, you know, people will get down ballot votes for incredible seasons and that's, and that's happened. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious now look, uh, to look at uh, Craig Kimbrell if I can pull him up here, because you know he's he's a guy who had some just ridiculous years mm-hmm. early in his career with the uh, with the Braves, and you know what he did get two top five Cy Youngs, but that's two as compared to one. And you know if you looked up Jansen or Chapman, I'm pretty sure they didn't have any. You know I, I could be wrong about that, but that's you know that would be my guess. So I don't think that's a negative for him. Um, I think that's, that's that's to be expected for 21st century closers. That you're not going to get, you're not going to get any love from the Cy Young voters. No, that that's completely fair. And yes, I would agree with you. I unless bullpen work drastically changes at some point, which I don't know if it's going back anytime soon. I don't see a, any reliever winning a Cy Young. I, I did check. Um, Jansen once was top five. Chapman never. He was top ten once, and that's about it. So. Right. Right. Um, that is going on the wayside. Kimbrell is a remarkable case and someone I'll talk about once he retires, but um, completely agree with you there. And again, that 99 season is probably Wagner's peak, but as you said, was extremely consistent, only had one down year throughout his career. And, and it was pretty much good for, you know, mid 30 saves every year. And I, and people, you know, when they talk about closers, they gravitate to saves, especially people that don't follow baseball, maybe as closely 
And and I and again, I don't think the, the voters obviously fall closely. They can look past saves, but you know, Wagner only got over forty saves twice. Um, and when you look at most guys in the hall today, and even elite guys today, usually plus forty is is when you're saying, okay, this guy to really get season. And again, I don't know. Like Wagner was dominating these years. I don't know if it was opportunities or what. But I, I don't hold that completely against them, the lack of 40-plus seasons. I just think when people are looking at, you know, where do those closers have peak seasons, they're looking at those 45-plus or, in Hoffman's case, you know, 50-plus saves years. And Wagner just doesn't have those. No, he, he doesn't. And I, I, I haven't looked closely enough. At, did he not get enough closing opportunities? His, his, his career save rate – but 88% um, off the top of my head, nothing wrong with that. Um, that that's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, but but it, it goes back to what you said at the beginning is that his career is relatively short compared to other Hall of Fame closers, 16 years. And, you know, one of those 16 years, he pitched a third of an inning, which is, you know, <laughs> 1995 with the Astros. So it's not really, it's really 15 years. And then the 2009 season, he was injured most of the year. He only pitched 15 innings. Now you really have 14 real years and, and the 2000, you only pitched 27 innings. Now you're down to 13 real years. You can see why, you know, he didn't, he just didn't have the volume. And then again, that's, that's part of the reason, yes, you mentioned it before, Jim, the 903 career innings is an issue with a lot of voters. Yeah. And I, and I, I do want to get that in the case against during court, but the last mini segment I want to do here, Chris, before we get there and start talking about really hardcore case for case against Last time I hear we call this and twins. I love quarterbacks eating dirt, pom-poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins. And what we try to do here, we've talked about his contemporaries already, but I want you to actually give me a name of someone who's already in the Hall of Fame today that best, I guess, most reminds you of Billy Wagner, whether it be statistically, style of play, or their impact on the league. And I know we've thrown around Rivera, we've thrown around Hoffman. Who would you say is his best comp that's already in Cooperstown? Okay, that's that's a really interesting question because there really isn't one. Um, I, I would say that uh, Eckersley as the relief pitcher would be a good comp. Uh, Eckersley, Eckersley's Hall of Fame case is a combo of being a starter and he was an excellent starter and, uh, and a relief pitcher, but, but Eckersley at his five or six year best with Oakland was the kind of ratio pitcher that Billy Wagner was. So among existing hall of famers, um, you know, I would say that, that Eckersley, you know, and Eckersley, you know, he had a very long career. Like I want to say 24 years he pitched, um, but he had 390 career saves. Wagner had 422. Uh, if you take Eckersley just as a relief pitcher, I would say he's the best comp. But again, it's not a not the same thing because he had this whole other this whole other career as a starting pitcher in which he was really good and started All Star games, and, or at least one anyway. So I, I would say among Hall of Famers, Eck at his peak is the best comp. If you're taking totality of career, I guess it would have to be Hoffman is the closest closest to the pin, just in terms of the fact that. They were both exclusively relief pitchers who started in the mid '90s and pitched, you know, until you know 2010, 2011. Uh, Hoffman just did it longer, and he, and as we we've already talked about, Hoffman kept pitching past his age 38 season, 
which is why he got over 500 saves. I actually, when I wrote about this, I actually did a graphic of what did Rivera and Hoffman have through their age 38 seasons. Mm. And it's exactly 482 saves for both. So Wagner had 422, they had 482. That's not a huge difference, a difference of 60 saves, but Rivera and Hoffman kept going. So I think, you know, in terms of like the, the ratio pitching, Eck is the best comp. In terms of overall career arc, it's, Hoffman's the best one. And also Hoffman had the postseason disappointments like Wagner mm-hmm. did. Another thing that was held against Hoffman initially when he was a Hall of Fame candidate. As yeah. is Wagner now. Yeah, Hoffman had a pretty rough uh, World Series outing in 98. Um, not as postseason uh, across his career, not as bad, but everyone thinks of that 98 World Series game. Right. Um, two innings pitched, two runs let up, not great. But overall, Hoffman's postseason 3.46 ERA, which is a lot better than Billy Wagner's, which we're talking about in a second probably, which is over 10. But real quick, you know, Chris, if you were just question hypothetically, if you were managing a team in, in let's say, 99, 2000 range, Hoffman and Wagner, I think, are both kind of around their peaks at that point. Um, and, and a team was bringing a closer to face your team. Would you rather have your the top of your lineup face Trevor Hoffman or Billy Wagner? That's a great question. I, I think Wagner was the kind of guy who you just didn't want to face if you're a hitter. Not that I ever, not that either of us ever had this experience, Jim. <laughs> It's just his, you know, he just threw so hard from the left side. I mean, you know, I think people compared him to like a mini me of Randy Johnson. Yep. They were lefties and he's, you know, about a foot shorter. <laughs> but, um, and I mean, literally a foot shorter, 5'10 versus 6'10. Uh, but I think if you're like an opposing manager, you don't want to see your batters go up against that kind of stuff. And whereas Hoffman kind of was sort of the comfortable out, uh, you know, he would just, he would crush you with that changeup, and, and he, and he was consistent. And, and of course, Rivera is the best ever. So the, the answer is always, you don't want to face Rivera, but that's just because he did it for so long and for so well. So I would say Hoff, I would say Wagner would be the guy you don't want to face more than Hoffman during those years. Yeah, I, I, I was asking myself that question, too, and I struggled with it. And I, I kind of went with Wagner, too, just because his stuff was so overpowering. I mean, I know it means nothing to the listeners today that maybe just started watching baseball and every reliever throws over 100. But when I was growing up, there was only a few guys that could hit that. Um, you know, Wagner being one of them. And again, from the left side, that's just terrifying. And and I'm going to say something, Chris. I, I, I hesitate to say it because it's kind of sacrilegious, but... If I'm thinking of players around that time period, and it could be anyone, not just relievers, but just pitching, like from the ratio standpoint of, you know, him not walking anyone or letting it, you know, end up any hits and the strikeouts per nine innings and how low his ERA was at times, you know, and how short he was, I, I think of Pedro Martinez a little bit. Um, obviously, completely different players. Obviously, Pedro's one of the best starting pitchers of all time, but I, you know, I, I look at him as a guy who dominated hitters who, you know, rarely let anyone on base, whether it be walks or hits struck out a ton of people, extremely low ERAs over time. And then again, didn't pitch maybe as long as other pitchers, you know, Pedro only racked up 219 wins 
over his career, played 18 years, uh, you know, was out of the league by 37, but was someone that dominated, you know, when he played and stuff was so overpowering. Again, anyone listening, I am not trying to compare Pedro Martinez to Billy Wagner, completely different in terms of, you know, obviously Pedro's a starter and his stuff was absolutely filthy. But if you're talking from a strictly ratio standpoint, um, letting people on base or striking people out, I see similarities there. And I don't think it's the craziest thing someone can say. I, I still feel guilty saying it. But part of me does think that, especially since they played around the same time, we're playing, you know, in the steroid air and we're basically kind of unhittable players, you know, Billy more at the end of a game, Pedro, of course, starting. But I do see a little bit of similarities there, even though I'm talking about a guy who won three Cy Young Awards in four years. And then Billy Wagner, who, again, was top five in Cy Young voting once. Uh, <clears throat> I'd never thought of that comparison before. And it absolutely is sacrilegious. However, you make very good points. Uh, I mean, Pedro was one of the most dominant uh, ratio pitchers of all time. And the ERAs that Pedro put up during the steroid era is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, which is why he has one of the highest ERA plus. I think it's like 154. But I'm just off the top of my head. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. But... You know, the reason that Page was the first ballot Hall of Famer is that he did it as a starting pitcher. You know, it's hard to do it for six or seven innings. And and as we learned from Pedro, it's hard to, it's hard to do it in the eighth inning against the Yankees in 2003 uh, with Pedro. But uh, speaking of, you know, postseason oops, but um, not a crazy, not a crazy comparison. It's like, you know, I mean, I called him a mini me of Randy Johnson. So that's sacrilegious, too. So we both have one. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So Chris, uh, now that I got that out of the way and I'll probably have Pedro fans coming after me again, I tried to make, I tried to add as much disclosure there as possible, but I know it will not be enough for people. Well, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to go to our final segment here. So we call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And we've been doing this throughout, you know, talking about the reasons, you know, Wagner should be in, maybe shouldn't be in. But this is where we really dive into, and I kind of want to start here with the case four. I want to rattle off to you four different statistics here about Wagner and maybe why he should be in. And I want you to tell me which one you think is most impressive and and maybe makes the case for him the best. Um, So four stats here. I just want to make sure this is clear. So first stat is his career ERA for his career, Um, 2.31. Uh, that is his career ERA. That's the second best in the last 100 years to Mariano Rivera. Only one better. The second stat is batting average against, so BAA. Batters against Wagner for their career, 0.187 batting average. That is the best in MLB history. The third stat I want to get to. 11.9 strikeouts per nine innings. That's Billy Wagner's career strikeouts per nine innings. That's the best in MLB history. And then finally, the fourth stat, his career whip is 0.998. It's under one, just under one, but still under one. That's the second best in MLB history. So I think those are all very telling numbers, all heavy hitting numbers, out of those four, Chris, what's most impressive to you and, and you think best, I guess, 
builds the case that this guy has to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, they all do, Jim. All, all, all of those stats are, th th that is the case, is that he just had ridiculously dominant numbers. He prevented runs as well as almost any relief pitcher in the history of the game. Um, prevented base runners, as you said, the whip, 0 0.998. Um, and when you strike guys out, you know, that's, that's the number one thing you want to do as a relief pitcher because there's you, you can't you're in, your your teammates can't screw it up for you. <laughs> you you know you can't get unlucky with a bloop when you strike the guy out so um i in terms of choosing any one of those you know they're all so impressive i you know i'm an old school guy i'm 54 years old so i like the era uh because that's the stat that i grew up with on the back of baseball cards i mean two point you know what was it two point three one yep that, that's that's incredibly good um and uh you know i learned about whip when i started playing rotisserie baseball in 1989 and again that's eckersley at his peak-esque you know but and to do that for an entire career of over 900 innings you know the strikeouts I may, be, I may be having some recency bias and kind of discounting the strikeouts for nine innings now because everyone does <laughs> that now. And, and by the way, that is part of the issue on the yep. case for and against Wagner is that he was kind of like the first guy to do what a lot of guys do now. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we'll get in, I guess we'll think we'll get more into that. But um, I find that the strikeout rate, as good as it is, just based on what one inning closers do these days a little bit less than the others. The, the whip and the ERA to me would be, it's, I have a coin flip between those two. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't go wrong with any of these, to be honest. Um, I didn't even throw the 422 saves in there. It's six all time. It's still impressive, but it's right. nothing close to what these other numbers are. I, I get really caught up in, in, I'm kind of an, I, I, ERA is what I grew up with too, before everything else came up, but the, the opponent's batting average being 187 really, really stands out to me. The more I kind of stare at this, just because if you look at the, who comes after that, again, these are starters. So just as I said with Pedro, this is completely different because they did it for thousands and thousands of innings. But after Billy Wagner at one or 0.187 batting average comes Nolan Ryan at 0.204 and then Sandy Koufax at 0.205. And again, these guys did it for thousands and thousands. Obviously, Nolan Ryan did it forever. Sandy Koufax's career a lot shorter. Right. But still, when I, anytime Koufax is around, you know, ho hovering around the number of a pitcher I'm talking about, yeah. Um, that that you know that that stands out to me. But you know, as you said, I, you can't go wrong with any of these. All of those are really his case. If you're having a few bullets there of why should Wagner be in, it's because we're talking about you know all time with those numbers. Now, the one caveat there, which is going to be the case against is when I'm saying all these numbers, you know, second best in MOB history, first best in MOB history. If you go to baseball reference, you know, yeah. Wagner's not going to show up there because the minimum is usually a thousand innings. Right. And again, he didn't get there. So, you know, if people are checking me on these numbers, you're not going to, he's not going to show up there because he only had nine year innings. And I think again, I don't know how you feel, Chris, and I'm interested to hear, but a lot of voters do have a major problem with the fact he only pitched nine innings. Now, 
relievers, obviously, all their innings are going to be way below anyone that was a starter. But it seems to be that a thousand inning threshold. I don't know if it's because that's where baseball reference starts it or what, but that seems to really hold, um, you know, a special place in a lot of voters' hearts. It's it's almost like a, I don't, I want to say a milestone you have to hit to qualify. Like you have to hit ten years to, you know, even be qualified for the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. But nine hundred innings really does stick, and I don't know if we want to get here now. But does that mean anything to you? Do you actually hold a you know, yeah, it does. Does that, does that matter? It does. It does matter. Um, and I'm not saying that it's a deal breaker because I don't think it is a deal breaker. Um, but it, it when you're talking about batting average against, and I guess the reason why the 187 doesn't quite it's it's an incredible number. You know, limiting the opponents to hitting 187. But you know, it's really all about what kind of inning standard do you use. So. Let me give you an example. Joe Nathan is hitting the Hall of Fame ballot uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Nathan had a terrific career, uh, saved 377 games, and, and he didn't even start you know, closing games until like he was 28 or 9. He was a failed starter, as a lot of relief pitchers are, um, and then and Tommy John surgery. But Joe Nathan's career batting average against is 206. Now, that's 19 points higher, but if you just take Nathan's – uh, if you get rid of his crappy starting career and you just take him as a closer, his batting average against is 195. Now, if you had to choose heads or tail, you know, one or the other, Billy Wagner, Joe Nathan for the Hall of Fame, it's Wagner. It's definitely Wagner. He did a little bit more of everything. But Nathan is close. Here, here's another guy, and this might, this might surprise some people. Um, Armando Benitez. Oh. Had a career batting average against of 196. He did it in only 779 innings, but you're talking 779 innings versus 903. It's a lot, but it's not a ton. A lot, but not a ton. And one other example, Troy Percival mm. had a 188 batting average against in 708 and two-thirds innings. Now that's 195 innings less, and that is a big deal. And Percival just didn't last, or he didn't really, you know, he actually pitched till he was 39, but he didn't have uh, enough um, peak seasons. He, he finished with 358 saves. But my point is that the batting average against is less impressive in the context of, and, you know, we may get into this, but it's Kimbrell, Chapman, and Jansen all have better, but they haven't pitched 900 innings yet. They're all between 591 and 691 innings. They're all in their age 33 season. Yeah, age 33 season. So, you know, at some point you'll be, we'll, you'll be talking, maybe I'll be talking with you about all those guys. Um, but that's how I feel about the batting average against. I think it, it's sort of a, it's a feature of the one inning closer. I'm really glad you just built that case up for that. You completely changed my mind on, on all of that. It was excellent. So thank you. I want to um, go back in time and change my answer to the ERA, but uh, I am very much like some of those names. Again, you mentioned good closers in their time, but um, I think I was blinded by the Koufax. I, I think Koufax blinded me there because I was all set on how impressed I was. And you're throwing around Benitez and other names like that. And now I am a lot less impressed. Well, so 
it's all about it's you know would Benitez have maintained the 196 if he'd thrown an extra 124 innings? I don't know. Who knows? Probably not. But... Who knows? So it's really all about the minimum inning standards. And I just brought it up since you mentioned the baseball reference minimum is a thousand, and that's why Wagner doesn't show up on any of those leaderboards, as you already said. No, very much so. So um, there is a lot of things I want to tackle, kind of on the case against. Uh, before we do, Chris, is there anything we haven't talked about either in the beginning or now in the in the court segment here about Wagner's case of, you know, why he should be? And I feel like we've hit a lot of the major points before maybe we talk about why he's still on the outside looking in and maybe why he won't get in. No, I, I think I think we hit the case for pretty well. I mean, it's th- those those numbers are ridiculous. They're ridiculously great. And um I, I, th- that is the case, is that he's the greatest ratio relief pitcher of all time. But again, if you, it's about the minimum inning standard. So, right. so I, I, and of course, the innings is part of the case against, but in terms of the case for, it, it's right there. And you can also, you can also make the case for that, well, a lot of Hall of Famers cross um, statistical thresholds by limping over the finish line. Guys are hitting, you know, like Miguel Cabrera has crossed the 500 home run, home run threshold as a fraction of the player he used to be. Uh, I mean, so many players today go out and they really limp out at the end of their careers. I mean, most players do that. Uh, now, what made Rivera unique, Mariano Rivera, as the greatest ever, is that he didn't. You know, He kept it going right until he was 42. Hoffman, almost almost as much. His last year was kind of weak, but kind of the similar similar situation. But you know, so one other thing, the one other thing, and again, it's it's not fair to do this. Like Mike Messina had to wait many, many years to make the Hall of Fame because he chose to retire after winning 20 games for the first time. And he wanted to be with his kids. And he finished with 270 wins. And and for a while, writers were stuck on that. And then they realized they looked at his ratios and they and they saw, wow, this guy was great. And they put him in. So I think you, you know, if Wagner had like finished his career the way Bruce Suter did as an ineffective closer, but still got the save opportunities because he was being paid to do it, and he crossed 500 saves, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame. And so I, I think it is fair to give credit to Wagner for finishing so strong uh, as a as an extra plank of the case in favor besides the ridiculous ratio numbers. Yeah, I think that's completely fair, but I think it is time to move over kind of the case against. Of course, we've talked about the innings thing now for quite a bit. So I think that's very obvious that that is a big issue here. And obviously, as, as Chris pointed out, you know, it made the, the batting average a little less impressive. It makes some of those stats as dominant as he was with the low ZRA, um, the whip, all of that, you know, people's careers as they get toward a thousand innings over a thousand innings it tends to usually unless you're Marlon Rivera and you're superhuman usually your numbers tend to go down so maybe Wagner's would have you kept playing we'll never know the other things in the case against um real quick before I want to turn over to you Chris because I think you have some original research uh, you've done it yourself on some of this stuff but you know he I was surprised to learn he never led the league in saves ever um which, which I think I don't think that kills him, but you like to see from Hall of Famers, most of them led the league at least once, most of them, you know, several times. He finished second once, but 
Um, never, never, you know, won the saves crown or anything like that. Um, postseason success. We've, we've mentioned, you know, one of the more memorable moments to you is when he blew that one game for the Mets, his postseason numbers. He does. He not only doesn't have, you know, that memorable moment of winning a world series and being, you know, the final out or anything like that, but anytime he was really in the postseason pitching in general, not even in big spots all the time. Um, he never really found his groove there. It was really his kryptonite. He, he pitched uh, under 12 innings with a 10.03 ERA. You know, that whip we talk about, which is astronomically low, um, you know, one of the best in history in the postseason, it blows up completely to 1.971. Um, and again, that one championship series with the Mets in 2007, you know, he pitches under three innings and has a 16.88 ERA. Uh, there's really no bright spots in there at all uh, compared to other pitch. I mean, obviously, Marin Rivera's postseason career is crazy, but other closers, you like to see those kind of key moments in the postseason or when all eyes, you know, outside of the markets you play in are on you in the postseason. Wagner um, never really showed up. And again, if you never watched him pitch for your Astros, or your Mets or Phillies or whoever he played for that last season in Atlanta, if you're never watching him, unfortunately, your memories of Wagner sometimes probably do gravitate to the moments you watch, whether it be that championship series or other playoff moments. So that right. definitely does not bode well from it all. Um, but Chris, I do want to turn over to you. You did when we were kind of going back and forth on here, you had some, you said unique stats about Wagner's usage pattern in his save situations. And I believe that that pattern you showed maybe might not be the best. So I'll turn that over to you and kind of let you explain to my listeners um, kind of what that's all about and maybe why that paints Wagner and maybe a, not as great a light. Okay. So I appreciate that, Jim. This is uh, when I created my website, uh, which was back in 2017. I can't believe it's been four years now. Uh, before I created it, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to write about. And I actually was, I've always been fascinated with relief pitching. So I actually wrote a seven part series about the history of relief pitching. And I did a ton of original research on it. And the, and the research that I did, it's not something you can look up uh, on baseball reference uh, on a, uh, or stat head on the play index. I actually downloaded all of the logs, the individual game logs for all of the top relief pitchers. And then I did all sorts of Excel data sorts to basically determine what kind of situations did did these relief pitchers come in? Now you can go onto StatHead with Baseball Reference, and you can see how many times the relief pitcher pitched one inning, or one and a third innings, or one and two thirds. How many batters that you can do stuff like that. But this was something that you couldn't do um, through the research tools available at the time. And uh, I spent a ton of time collating all these logs. But what what really you know, and this is going to be obvious to most listeners. What's what really distinguishes the closers of my era growing up, like the Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Bruce Souter, from today's closers, is that those guys went two to three innings to get their saves. So, like, you know, in today's game, you have, you know, your your starter goes six innings, and then you have your seventh inning guy, your eighth inning guy, your ninth inning guy, and if everyone does their job, you get two holds and a save, right? So the old closers had to do the holds and the save. <laughs> they had to hold the seventh inning, eighth inning, or ninth inning 
Um, and so, uh, and also a lot of, uh, you know, the old school closers came into the games with runners on base. Yep. Um, and, and that's still, and that's actually happening more today in today's game where uh, managers are stretching out their, their closers for a fourth out, you know, two outs in the eighth inning in a key situation, because there's just an awareness that you want your best guy in the top situation if your eighth inning guy doesn't seem to have it. But when Wagner pitched, he really didn't get used that way a lot. So um, I actually, what I did is I looked at how many saves did each pitcher have in situations where they entered the game with a clean ninth inning or a clean extra inning? So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're playing on the road uh, and your team scores in the top of the 10th, you come in, you know, and this is before the runner on second base crap, <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of had to get, I that. see where you're, I see where you stand on that. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's get rid of that next year. Anyway. But a clean inning is when you come in the ninth inning uh, where, where your team has the lead or if you're coming in the bottom of the 10th or the 11th or 12th on the road where your team scores in the top of the frame. And Wagner, out of his 422 career saves, 361 of them were in that situation. Oh, wow. So back when, when I grew up, they called the relief pitchers firemen because they're in to put out a fire. you got runners all over the place on base and you need your best pitcher to get out of the jam. And this is before pitchers were striking out 14 batters per nine innings. You know, they would get a pop-up or a ground ball or sometimes a strikeout. Goose Gossage did that a lot. Um, and so 86 of Wag 86% of Wagner's career saves were in the quote unquote clean inning. Compare that to Mariana Rivera, who started his career really just a year before. Rivera, only 73% of his, no, still a lot, 479 out of 652, but it's only 73%. Trevor Hoffman, 80%. Uh, Wagner, 86%. Wow. Now, compare that to uh, Raleigh Fingers, 50 out of 341. 50 out of 341. Did he come in in that situation? That's why he only has 341 saves because he just, you know, you don't, you can't come in three days in a row if you're pitching two to three innings. Uh, Goose Gossage, 51 out of 310 were in that situation. And so there's a second part to this where, and this is where it comes to win, um, like win probability added and win expectancy. So generally, and, and this will be obvious, but there are numbers on baseball reference you can see that the degree of difficulty for a save is much greater if you only have a one-run lead, and this is obvious, but it's harder to close a, a one-run lead than a two-run lead or a three-run lead, right? And that's mm -hmm. obvious. If you have a four-run lead, you don't get a save uh, unless you come in in the middle of the inning with men on base. So what I defined as a quote-unquote easy save is a save in which you have a clean inning, nobody on base, and you have a two or a three run lead. That's what I would call an easy save because your win expectancy is 94, 95% or higher. A, and then every other situation I would call as a other kind of save. So Wagner had uh, out of his career saves, 232 out of 422 were the quote unquote easy saves. That's 55% of them. 
he only has 190 saves that in which he had a uh, worse than 95% win expectancy. So this, if, if, if it's kind of hard to follow, um, I have to put a little plug in here. I recommend any of your uh, listeners go to cooperstowncred.com and just uh, you know search for Billy Wagner or you can go to the candidates tabs and you'll find the piece. It, it breaks down all these numbers. But this is the ultimate dilemma of the modern closer is that you can't compare modern closers to closers of yesteryear because the, the situations in which they have to work are completely different. And, uh, but there is, because, you know, again, let's forget about Rivera because it's a different planet, right? <laughs> but, you know, comparing him to Hoffman, I think is, is a more fair comparison because they really were contemporaries with each other. And Hoffman did have all the 40 save seasons that Wagner did not. Um, and, but again, Hoffner, Hoffman pitched a little longer. So I also researched inherited runners and, uh, Trevor Hoffman actually has one of, of, uh, of all of the hall of fame relief pitchers, Trevor Hoffman has the best inherited runners stranded percentage of all of them. Uh, in his career, Hoffman had 346 inherited runners and only 20% scored. Now compare this to Rivera, 367 inherited runners, 29% scored. Billy Wagner, 166, only 166 runners inherited his entire career, 166. Again, Hoffman was 346 inherited runners, Wagner 166. That's a massive difference, not even half as many. And Wagner let 28% of them score, whereas Hoffman 20%. And so, like, believe it or not, I can't even believe this now, but I was struggling about whether Hoffman should make the Hall of Fame years mm -hmm. ago. And I ultimately, when I saw that number, 20% inherited runner stranded, better than everybody, better than Mariano and, and Wagner and Lee Smith and Eckersley as a closer, Eckersley's number was 26%. That's when I decided, all right, stop, get, stop getting mad at Hoffman for giving up the home run to Scott Brocious. It's, you know what, he had a great career. <laughs> With Billy Wagner, I really, it, it, you know, um, and we're going to get to yes or no, and I'll tell you up front, I'm on the fence. So I'm sorry if I spoiled the, spoiled the end, uh, but I'm going to explain why I'm on the fence and, and how I'm going to get to yes or no. So that'll be the last segment. Uh, but only 166 runners inherited, that's a really small number. I mean, so he was great, but he was set up to be great. And that's not his fault because that's what all the, the closers are doing now. But compared to his contemporaries, they didn't have it as easy. Yeah, and, and for the listeners, go to, all I did was Google, because I'm looking at this now, Chris. I Just Google Cooperstown Cred Billy Wagner. It pops up right away. Um, charts are very clear cut. It's probably a little easier for you all to, like I was looking at this while you were explaining and it made a lot of sense. Um, it might be a little tough to follow as Chris mentioned. So go to that site if you're listening right now and check it out. The tables and the work Chris did here are, are excellent. Uh, what, what, how many hours does this take you, by the way? You know, I, <laughs> it took a lot. <laughs> it took me many, many, many hours to do this. And I'm not sure where I found all the time. My work was kind of part-time at the, my, my day job, unlike now where it's like, it's, it's like 50 hours a week of my day job. But my day job was a little easier back then. I had a little more time <laughs> But I kept office hours. In other words, 
I had to be available if somebody needed me. So, but if I didn't have anything to do, I would do baseball stuff. Hey, it's time well spent. So before we get to the final verdict, which is when we both say, you know, what do we, you know, would we vote him in? Do we actually think he'll get in? The last thing I want to talk about, because you mentioned actually earlier, is about what's going on now with closers today with people like Jansen, Kimbrell, Chapman. They're coming down the line. And, you know, we, we talked about Wagner's numbers earlier, his strikeout rates, things like that. And, you know, what Chapman, Kimbrell, and Jansen are doing right now, it, it blows out of the water, to be honest. Uh, you know, we were talking about strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, Wagner's all time 11.9. Well, I think Chapman's almost like 15. I think Kimbrell's almost 15. I think Jansen's hovering around 13 or something like that. Yep. So, so all three of them, right. If they get to, you know, if we drop that minimum from 900 to 500, probably all those guys would come in to play. Um, but if those guys keep pitching, I mean, they're, they're 33, 30, 32, 33. Kimbrell might be a little older. I think Chapman's 33, but um, they keep pitching at this rate. Um, eventually, when they retire, they're all probably going to beat Chapman and all that, unless they have an extreme drop off. ERA Kimbrel, you know, is below um, Wagner. I, I think Chapman is as well, even though I think Chapman, I don't know what the next couple of years of Chapman might look like, but I digress. Anyway, with Chapman, Kimbrel, and Jansen all coming down the pipeline, and them kind of now, their stats kind of blowing Wagner out, out, out of the water. I don't know if it's going to continue, but how does that? you know, hurt or help uh, Wagner's case in, through your eyes? And do you think those three guys are going to sustain that pace? Or if not, which one of those do you think will sustain that pace? Uh, that's a great question. And all three of those guys, Chapman, Kimball, Jansen, they're all 33 years old. I think Jansen's about to turn 34. But, you know, when you talk about Hall of Fame closers and you talk about people who have workloads of, 60 innings a year, theoretically, they should be able to keep pitching. Uh, and they're all sh showing signs that they're not what they used to be. Uh, I mean, Kimbrell, honestly, last year, he looked like he was done. He scared me to death. I'm a Cubs fan. So last year, <laughs> I, of course, he got, you know, he returned to himself this year. And then, uh, and then we trade him away. But I thought his career was over last year. Like, I, I thought he was done for. Yeah, he's, he seemed like he was done. I mean, um, I mean, even the last two years, I'm looking at 2019, 6.53 ERA, 2020, 5.28 ERA. And in spite of those terrible years, his career is still 2.16. Yep. <laughs> so it's like but before he before he got to the Cubs, his career ERA was 1.91. And he already had 333 saves. So um so I don't know what the future has in store for any of those three top closers, but um, I've heard some people kind of complain about the hall of fame voting process and that like, you know, they should just have a yes or no one-time vote, let vote for as many people as you want. And I completely disagree with that. I think sometimes you need more time to properly evaluate a player's career. I wish we had 15 years on Wagner, to be honest. We've only got four left. And when I first wrote about Billy, and that was four years ago in 2017, when I did all this research on relief pitching, one of the things I mentioned is Billy Wagner's rate stats are incredible, but there are a lot of young guys right now. And this is when Chapman, Kimbrell, and Jansen were all in their 20s. They're all 29, who are putting up better numbers. 
And you have like people like Wade Davis and Andrew Miller and Zach Britton who are just putting up ridiculous ratio numbers, you know, high strikeouts, you know, low whips, microscopic ERAs. And so the point that I was making, and I've revised this Wagner piece since then because guys like Wade Davis disappeared as a you know top flight closer and Britain's been hurt or not even closing games anymore, uh, is that Wagner being a one inning guy, which he definitely was, he was a one inning guy. You have to evaluate him against one inning guys. And he was the best of his era. Joe Nathan was a one inning guy, but Wagner was better. Jonathan Papelbon, if you look at his numbers, really, really phenomenal numbers Papelbon had. Uh, Papelbon, um, you know, but again, he didn't last long enough. So I look at Wagner, like if Chapman, Kimbrell, and Jansen all surpass Wagner in terms of career saves, and if they are right in the ballpark on the ratios, then it's harder to make a case for him. And that's why I say I'm on the fence. And I may wait till the 10th year with the last year. I don't get, I don't get to vote folks, by the way, because all I have is a website. But I will say, um, and Jim, you and I probably, um, I, I'm just talking to you and getting to know you for the first time, probably take it a little more seriously than a lot of the writers do. That's not to besmirch uh, you know, all of them, but there are some of them who really don't take the vote very seriously. They like just go with, like, you got to give them the elevator pitch, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, so, I think that where Chapman, Kimball, and Jansen fall really determines, all right, is Wagner the best out of all these? Now, you could also say that there's room for more than one, but I think relief pitchers are overrepresented compared to starting pitchers in the last 50 years, considering that they pitch fewer innings. I think they're overrepresented compared to catchers and really any position. Mm -hmm. Pretty much every relief pitcher, Billy Wagner is the only borderline relief pitcher who's not in the Hall of Fame. He's the only one. And if you go to any other position, starting pitcher or any of the positions, you can name multiple guys in the history of baseball who you think this guy deserves to be in. You know, he's, yeah. you know, really solid candidate. So Wagner is the only one. He's the only relief pitcher who you would even possibly consider as a Hall of Fame. Dan Quisenberry maybe being the other exception. Ooh, we, we, we tackled Dan Quisenberry a few months ago with Joe Piznanski from uh, The Athletic. That was a good one. Joe, well, Joe is not one of the writers I'm talking about when I <laughs> writers don't pay attention. Joe cares a lot. I bring the writers that care on a lot. Yeah, Joe, Joe cares a lot. Uh, he's one of the best writers about the Hall of Fame that's out there. He, mm -hmm. he and Jay Jaffe are like the Mount Rushmore of Hall of Fame writers, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, Quisenberry is actually, this is a quick tangent, but if you, if you, uh, those of you listening want to look this up, Dan Quisenberry and Bruce Souter had the same career, except, Qu except Souter got a big contract and he got to keep closing games when he stunk. Yep. Got to 300, whereas Quisenberry didn't get the big contract and he became a, you know, setup guy and he didn't reach the numbers. But other than that, they had the same career and Quisenberry well, probably even a little better. I mean, I, if, if, if anyone's listening today and did not listen to my Dan Quisenberry episode with Joe, Please go back and listen to it. it was a few months ago, but the, you know, we were talking about, this is a quick tangent because we got to get back on the subject here, but I, I was talking about Quisenberry's peak with Joe and, and we, you and I were talking about how, you know, Cy Young awards, um, you know, aren't going to go to relievers anymore. And we definitely don't think MVP awards will, but Quisenberry had a stretch where he finished fifth in Cy Young, third, second, second, third, 
And then he was top 10 in MVP four out of five years and finished his highest third one year as a reliever. But again, he was pitching like 130 innings a year. Um, but as you said, the second half of his career, he just stopped having save opportunities and he got stuck at 244. Yep. Uh, if, if that doesn't happen, he has the same career as Hooter. He, I think he's easily in, and I made the case that he should be in, but that's another episode. It's already up. Go listen to it. But um, back to where we were, um, I, I thought those were all, you know, excellent points um, you, you were making. I, again, I, I love the analysis of all of that. And, um, you know, those guys, if they continue on, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think you said, though, Chris, out of those three, do you think all of them will, will continue on this pace and, you know, get to around 900, 1,000 innings? Or do you think it'll only be a couple of them? They're still young, but as we said, you know, Kimbrell looked like he was done a year ago. He's not anymore. Chapman this year, I don't know what's going on now, but his ERA is almost the four, even though he made, you know, the all-star game just a couple months ago. He looks like he completely forgot to pitch. And I don't know about Jansen. What what would your take be before we get to the final verdict? Um, I have no idea which one of those guys, if any, will last. I, I It could be all three of them. It could be none of them. I mean, it's in the last couple of years, as you, we already talked about it. Kimbrell looked like he was done. Chapman looks really kind of iffy right now. Jansen is not what he used to be, but he's still, you know, in upper echelon where, he's such a big guy, you know, I just, I, I'm seeing more, Chapman is such a freak in terms of how fast he throws, like he makes Billy Wagner looks like he's throwing knuckleballs, you know, and Ch- Chapman's, you know, game being throwing over 100 miles an hour, that seems like the one least likely to last, so that's kind of where I am with that, but, you know, but ultimately they all could last, they all could get over 450 saves or 500, they all could do it, um, in the future, they, uh, baseball reference may add saves and holds on the front page mm. because, you know, there will be pitchers who are eighth inning guys who, you know, they save the eighth inning and sometimes the hold is more important than the save. So there may be that like Kimbrell's not being used as a closer with the White Sox and that's the, still Liam Hendricks. Um, and, you know, I'll, all three teams look like they're going to make the postseason. So there are possible postseason moments for all three that, that could happen, but you know, Chapman and Jansen kind of have the same problem that Wagner and Hoffman have in terms of when you think of Chapman in the postseason, what do you think of? You think of Jose Altuve, right? And Rajai Davis, and of course they want him. Um, and uh, and Kimbrel like was like a high wire act with the Red Sox in 2018, but he managed to get through all of it. Um, but Alex Cora didn't even use him in the ninth inning in Game Five of the World Series. He used Chris Sale out of the bullpen. If you remember that. Yep. Uh, anyway, I, I I think I really to me you can make a great case for Billy Wagner right now that he was the dominant ratio pitcher of his era. But I look at all the players on the ballot and I have a hard time. And I'm a guy who believes in in putting the Bonses and the Clemenses in the hall. I, I know that's a whole other topic, but it it reduces your ballot space. You can only vote for ten people, and if you're going to put those guys in, you have less spots and Right now, I don't see Wagner as a top 10, but he's really close. And yeah. I think ultimately he's going to be on the ballot all 10 years. I think he'll make the Hall of Fame. Uh, I do. Uh, you know, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Famers and managers appreciate closers maybe more than stat heads like us do. They appreciate having the guy you can rely on in the ninth inning. 
that's why Lee Smith sailed in easily after, you know, he kind of kind of got stuck in the 40s on the baseball uh, writer's ballot. You know, Wagner's got momentum. Uh, I think he could make it in with the writers, but he's, to me, a guy that will probably get in with the Veterans Committee if he doesn't make it to the writers. And I'm, but for me, as a non-voter, I want to see what Jansen Chapman and Campbell do in the next few years. I want to see if they all still have better batting average against three years from now than Wagner does. So, and, so Chris, to, to get to, cause again, the, the final thing I ask again, do you think he should be in? Do you think he'll get in? It sounds like you, like for you, at least right now, you, you, you're a wait and see approach. You would wait till year 10 and see where he stacks and that would decide your vote. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's that a, my vote. I, I, I that's a that's these, a very that's a very specific answer, but I appreciate it. Yeah, I want to see what these three guys do. Uh, I want to see how he compares to them because they are they are the same usage pattern. And you know what? Right now, I think the odds are better than not that he'll have better numbers than all three of them um, when his his last year is on the ballot, and that's that's three years from now. So I would say more likely than not, I'd say yes for Billy Wagner to the Hall of Fame, but I remain on the fence. Yeah. And it, it's tough. And I struggle with this one. A lot of times when I set up, you know, episodes, I, I know going in what I, what I think already and the numbers just, you know, either, either back up what I was thinking already, Billy Wagner, I went in pretty uh, on the fence with, um, I really thought you made a good point earlier about how almost every on the fence closer now is in the hall of fame outside of, you know, Wagner and maybe Dan Quisenberry um, I thought that was an excellent point. I didn't really think about compared to other positions. Of course, there's tons of people, I think, waiting to get in. I, I would say no at this point for me. Um, I, I get down to just, again, he he was, cons- he, he's a weird case, right? And we've been talking about it for a while, but like he was consistent and he was a dominant pitcher. And even though he was super dominant, he had, you know, the ERAs super, super low, you know, around 1.5 or under at times. You know, he ran, he, he, the awards he won or even his recognition for me, you know, one Rolaids relief, um, you know, title again, that shouldn't mean anything, but to me it does. And when I look at the other people in the hall of fame, you know, most of them have a couple of them. I look at his contemporaries, the Hoffman's, the Rivera's like, again, it's not fair to compare anyone against Mariano, but when I compare him against Hoffman, I know you talked about earlier that Cy Young top five shouldn't matter. But, you know, Hoffman played the same exact time as Wagner and Hoffman had three top fives and actually two top twos. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he played long enough and got the saves. And when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame, especially with batters, with pitchers, too, though, it's about how many, you know, what are the numbers you accumulate over time? And, and that does matter. And I think if Wagner plays a few more years and he keeps this up, he gets over that a thousand innings pitched. He gets over 500 saves. I think his case is a lot more clear cut. However, there are kind of thresholds for a reason. I think baseball reference made a thousand innings uh, for a reason, because that's what a reasonable pitcher during his career gets to at minimum. I don't think they just made that up from scratch. I think there was a reason. So all of those things, I actually think he is a no. Do I think he'll ever get in? I think I don't think he'll get in on the, the ballot in the 10 years here. I think if anything, as you were saying earlier, I think down the road, let's see what Chapman, uh, these other guys do. If they all, you know, flame out around 700, 750 innings, and maybe Kimbrough gets in because his ERA is super low or something like that happens. 
Then maybe a senior committee looks at it. They look at the amount of innings Kimbrell does, and that maybe helps Wagner. But until that day or until, you know, 10, maybe 15 years from now, anybody that was a closer doesn't even get near a thousand innings pitched. That becomes more the norm. Maybe that helps Wagner down the road, but I just don't see it, at least in this, the 10 year period he's going to be on. I don't see him getting to that 75% threshold. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure if he'll make it or not. I, I'm inclined to agree with you uh, that he won't, uh, but I, I'm going to just mention that normally people who have, especially recently now in the era of the hall of fame tracker by Ryan Thibodeau, normally people who have the kind of like momentum that Wagner has will make it. So in 2019, Wagner got 17%. You need 75% to get in. I'm sure everyone knows that. So he got, he got 17% in 2019. Then in 2020, uh, you know, a, a whole bunch of guys had gotten into the Hall of Fame. The ballot was a little lighter. He went up to 32%. So he went from 17 to 32. 2021, he went from 32 to 46. So that's the kind of vote increase trajectory that Larry Walker had. It's the kind of increase that Edgar Martinez had. Um, Tim Raines to a lesser degree, but it's, it's specifically, I'm thinking specifically Edgar and, um, and Walker. Now, if you were to follow those, and by the way, most players, if they crack 50, because Wagner has a good chance to crack 50% this year, Mm -hmm. almost every player in the history of the hall of fame voting who has cracked 50% on the writer's ballot has gotten into the hall of fame eventually either through the writers or the veterans committee. Gil Hodges is the number one example of a player who, who didn't. Uh, but uh, usually once you're over 50, at some point you're getting in, whether it takes two years or 20 years. So Wagner was at 46 this past year. If he gets over 50, that's a good trend line, but it doesn't mean that he'll get over 75% in the three years after that. And I'm inclined to think he won't because there's a difference between his case and the Edgar Martinez, Larry Walker cases. These are, those were sabermetric darlings who, who got in Walker because he had a very high war all around player, Edgar ridiculous on base percentage. Um, again, a high war and, and high war in spite of the fact that he was a late bloomer. Um, and, you know, there is in the sabermetric community, there is not any consensus on what to do about relief pitchers because they don't have the innings. They don't have the war. You know, Jay Jaffe's written about this a lot. You know, what he uses WPA, you know, wins probability at win probability added um, as a good metric for relief pitchers. It shows what you did in the game. Um, but, you know, whereas the sabermetric community pushed Edgar and Larry Walker over the edge in their 10th and final years of eligibility, I don't, I agree with you. And I just don't see the same thing happening with Wagner. I think there's going to be a resistance uh, just like there was a Jack Morris resistance when he didn't make the hall of fame in spite of the old school uh, uh, feeling that he deserved it. The, the saber met, there was the sabermetric wall and Wagner's 903 innings, I think is going to be part of that wall. And I don't think he'll make it to 75% with the right. He might, um, and he might get my non-vote if, if Kimbrell, uh, Chapman, and Jansen don't stack up in, in three years, but uh, I do think he will get in eventually. I think the Veterans Committee at some point will put him in if he doesn't make it through the writers. Yeah. No, and we'll have to see what happens. And again, I will be pushing this episode around voting season come, you know, this winter 
and then probably every voting season until, you know, he's either off the ballot or not. So I'm sure there's going to be people, Chris, listening to this in 2022, 23, 24, until, you know, he is off the ballot. Because I think if he does get in, which I, I, again, I don't think he will, but if he does in these, you know, 10 years on the ballot, I, I think it would be year 10. Kind of what you're waiting for. I think that's honestly the year he would get in. But Chris, I do want to thank you for coming on to talk about Wagner. Love some of the, you know, the time you spent building out some of that data. Um, I had never seen anything like that before. I, I kind of, I'm going to go back after today and look back at some of that. Cause I, I glanced at it to, you know, reference as you were talking, but I've never really looked at safe situations like that. So I do want to take a look at that, but I, I want to thank you again for coming on um, again, check out Chris's site, Chris, anything quickly uh, about your site for the listeners you want to like what's on the site, where are they going to find there? Um, just a quick plug before we get you out of here. <laughs> Always appreciate the quick plug. plug. It's cooperstowncred.com. And it's a site mostly devoted to candidates. It's devoted to people who are not in the Hall of Fame and, you know, should they or should they not be. Now, I've also written about uh, far too many times in the last year, I've written about Hall of Famers as they've passed away. Uh, we had a lot in the last 12 months, um, 12 months in a few days, you know, Tom Seaver died uh, August 31st, a year ago. Um, and uh, every once in a while, when I've been bored, I've written about existing Hall of Famers, but the website is really devoted to the candidates, uh, the, the current writers, candidates, possible uh, veterans committee, uh, they call it the eras committee now, but to me, it'll always be, always be the veterans committee, um, those candidates. Um, and, and one of the philosophies of, of, my, of my, my own take on the Hall of Fame and, and my writing is I, I believe in advanced metrics. I believe in sabermetrics and I believe in war and ERA plus OPS plus and all that, but I'm not a slave to it. And I, I really think that when you look at a player's career, that the, the story of the career is important. And that is a problem for Wagner. He doesn't have a story. Um, the story is a bunch of stat geek things. It's there isn't there isn't a compelling elevator pitch that you can make to a a a, um, a fan who is not as well versed in some of those statistics as we are. Uh, it makes it a harder case. Now you can still do the you can still do it. You can say sixth most saves in history. All right, that's not bad. You know you know what lowest ERA you know for nine hundred minimum innings. You know uh, you can you can do an elevator pitch that way, but uh, it's, it's, it's harder without the iconic moments that pop into your head, especially for relief pitchers, because I think relief pitchers are so much more important in October than they are in the, in the balance of a regular season, you know, especially if you have a team that wins their division by 10 games, well, they could have had anybody closing games and they still would have won their division, right? They still would have made the playoffs, but it's what happens in those short series. And and as you've talked about, Wagner's ERA, it's over 10. How did that happen? Somebody that good. <laughs> it's a tiny sample size, so it's not really fair, but life's not fair, right? Um, you know, if Lee Smith had uh, not allowed Garvey to homer off him in 84, and if the Cubs had won the World Series in 84, he might have gotten in the Hall of Fame 10 or 15 years earlier. But he didn't. The iconic image of Lee Smith's career is walking off when Steve Garvey's running around the bases. So with relief pitchers, it's very small sample size and it's important. And so uh, I, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but 
Um, I, I, I really, I like to write about the players' careers, what they did on the field beyond what the numbers say. And I'm a little older, um, you know, than I used to be. I'm age 54 now, so I'm pretty much writing about guys that I saw play, <laughs> you know, on TV or in person. Um, and it's a, it's a labor of love. And uh, anybody who wants to check it out, I always appreciate new, uh, new readers. Yeah, so again, it's cooperstowncred.com. Be sure to check it out if you like listening to my podcast, which if you're listening at this point, I take it you are. I think you will enjoy this site as well. So again, it's cooperstowncred.com. Chris, thanks again for joining. Have a great weekend. Real pleasure, Jim. Thank you. All right. So I want to thank Chris again for coming on today's podcast. Really enjoyed breaking down Billy Wagner's career. His case was super complex, and I'm glad Chris and I really dove into it um, and gave it the proper time it needed. But that's all we have for you today. Uh, so per usual, you know, if you don't already, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us at Pod of Fame on Twitter. And if you've done both of those things already, then we'll see you next week. And the world's gonna know your name.